when you go to the hospital and get bad care, when um, avoidable accidents would occur, when people would quit, when people would leave, when sick rates were high. If you have people calling in all the time, they're not happy at work. Your care system is only as good as the care providers in it. And if the care providers in it aren't doing well, the system isn't doing well. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the How For Her Human Expansion Realized podcast. These podcasts are the creative artistry inspired by our weekly Gather For Her conversations that take place in real time. They are the culmination of co-created and harvested wisdom that is palpable during these gatherings around our virtual fire. Our hope is that in a practice of deep listening with us here, you will feel our hands at your back in the journey of realizing your own personal expansion, leaving each listening experience with a spark that ignites your how. Our hosts are joined this week by Margie Sills Mayrob, the visionary behind Thought Architects, which is a collaborative organization built on a shared desire to make workplaces great by building up leaders from all walks of life. Together, Margie and our hosts dive into the conversation of what we get from gathering, inclusivity in the workplace, and becoming better listeners. Luckily, I've been really fortunate to be able to create a kind of workplace where we do walk the talk. We want to create great workplaces and we know it's hard work and we know it's about being vulnerable and we know it's about being open and having hard conversations and having fun. And so we have created, um, I think each of us in our group came from we knew it came from some workplace at some point in time in our lives that we all probably have that was not very fulfilling, that didn't have that flow, that people didn't get along, that there was the water cooler chat, that there was the clicks, that there was the gossip, there was the power plays. And we really wanted to create something that was the opposite of that and very purposely came about to do that and teach people very practically how to do that that it's all about how you lead yourself. It starts with self. So yeah, that's, um, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm fortunate. It's, I'm just really fortunate. So I'm, I do acknowledge that. Awesome. Thanks, Margie. Now we've had the pleasure of chatting. We've had a couple, I've had two one hour chats where I just have to say like what, what I really hope happens today is that divergent, um, that, that that divergent conversation happens that you realize at the end of it wasn't divergent at all. It was like, because mm-hmm. that always happens when I'm in your presence. I feel like you and I share a common uh, understanding of story and we just might just use different language for it. I, I would love to jump into, I, I know uh, back at the train, I know that you have a real heart for healthcare and that you're also going to be a panelist um, for our fire circle in our, when we talk about healing systems and talking about uh, the healthcare system. And I would love to hear what is up in your world around whole leadership mm-hmm. um, from that place. I don't, not putting you on the spot to heal the system, but no. whole leadership and healthcare would, would be where I would, I would start. It's a, sh- it's, it's shattered leadership in healthcare right now. There's nothing whole about it. Um, and we had snippets of it before the pandemic, like the pandemic, there's no doubt that's been hard on any frontline worker. And I have to say, I've been every day. I'm like, thank goodness. I didn't like stay at the front line <laughs> because I don't know how I would have coped. 
I have friends who talk about how like they're nurses and they say, you know, you work on the wards and you remember two or three people who died under your care and that moment and you never forget their names and you never forget their families. Like it touches your soul. And now we have five people a day dying and you can't remember everything about them and you can't remember their soul. There's just this one big blur. And so what I think brought that, you know, compassion heals. There's no doubt. There's actually a whole book called Compassionomics in healthcare. Compassion actually heals. Um, and that's a huge piece of leadership at all levels. And it's just, it's, it's not there because people are shattered. So I think that's, it's a... It was there before in snippets. You'd you'd see it when you get when you go to the hospital. You get bad care when um, avoidable accidents would occur. When people would quit. When people would leave. When sick rates were high. If you have people calling in all the time, they're not happy at work. Your care system is only as good as the care providers in it. And if the care providers in it aren't doing well, the system isn't doing well. So it comes it comes back to people. The wellness of people. It does. It does. It's, it's like teachers, you know, like if with your kids, if you have your kid has a great year when they have a great teacher mm. and you get great care when you have a great care provider. Um, I still remember when I uh, had my first child and I um, I had 20 hours. It was a typical, you know, 20 hours of labor. You push, you push, you push. Nothing happens. Um, emergency C-section. And I remember sitting there, you know, and you're lying there and your arms are out and you're like exhausted and I remember the anesthesiologist stroking my hair and saying it's gonna be okay it's gonna be just fine I don't remember anything else but I remember that and that's compassion and care and that's what makes that's what makes that's what makes your health better it actually has a way of making your health better because we're neurological beings and so when our hormones are released when those positive hormones are released they actually have a positive impact on our body when we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we're worried, the the cortisol, the 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 dopamine, all those things that are that are negative hormones actually have an impact on other parts of our body. And things like cancers evolve from it. Things like um, uh, inflammatory disease, they're all connected to how we feel. So it's not that it's in your head, but we are literally we're head and head and bodies. We're not just heads, and we're not just bodies. And so. Um, another book I'm totally obsessed with is The Body Says No and talks all about this, about how there is that mind-body connection. And it's not just, it's actually physiological. It's not just in our head. So I think if we don't actually address people in the health system, it's almost, it's like a toxin that spreads. So I think we have to be able to create whole leadership back in healthcare. It's not there right now. You know where that takes me is one of the things that that I often say is that we can't give to others what we haven't given to ourselves or what we don't give to ourselves. So I'm I'm curious if that resonates with with you in in relationship to um, whole leadership because that conversation around compassion how do we give compassion to ourselves so that we can give it to to others? I'm curious where that where that takes you. I think that's all of our hard work in life, isn't it? Like understanding 
again, here's here's a Christinaism that stuck with me. How do I how do I reflect and not absorb? How do I reflect where somebody's at so that they can see and they can grow themselves and be compassionate, but not absorb it myself so it actually infiltrates me? Um, that kind of that perception, I think that's that's the hard work of of people of our lives, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether it's family, friends. Um, you can feel empathy, you can feel compassion, but you also have to you also have to know where your own personal boundaries are. And and that's a that's that I think is that's the hard work we all have. That feeds into um, uh, my point, the point that I want, my question, and, and that is, you know, when, when the pandemic first hit, I mean, it was just, everybody was slammed and, and we were not trained for a pandemic. I don't think anybody was in, in healthcare was trained for a pandemic. And so you can be the most compassionate person in the world, but all of a sudden you're dealing with the trauma that, that happened. Like how, how do you, how do you remind yourself to be compassionate in this, in the situation where you're just fighting, you're just putting out fires? Like, I, 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 I don't think you could in the time. I think now's the time for healing. Like it's, it's, you're, you're in full on, you're right. You're in full on emergency mode. That is. Um, and I think also during the, the height of it, many just found this strength and, and team, you know, some teams got really strong through it and they supported each other, but it can only continue for so long. Now I think is the time for healing. And this is where kind of concepts of, so there's like the, you know, the head and the heart. And then there's also, we can put it into other language that may resonate for healthcare workers. And it's the adaptive versus technical. So there's technical, you know, as you, you all likely know, there's technical leadership, right? So that's, and that's throughout healthcare. Um, that's how to do a hip replacement. That's how to do a um, central line. That's how to start a central line. It's how to do a tracheotomy technical knowledge, technical expertise, you need it. Healthcare is full of it. But it doesn't translate into all these other components. The adaptive leadership is where you have to go from a stance of not knowing. And I was actually thinking about this this morning as I was walking my dog. I'm like, I'm kind of shocked at how little I know. Like, it's, and you only figure, again, you only figure that out as you, I feel like as you go through life. Um, and that so much of what you assume to be real is this social construct that is just around you and you have no idea um, what other lives might be. I was talking to actually a friend of ours who lives down the street in Golden and they used to live in Rosalind. And they said it was so weird how when the people in trail would talk about because of the mine and all of the um, toxins and the lead in the ground, the conversations would be like, well, of course you don't let your kids play in the grass. Like, and that was normal. That was a whole normal context. Well, of course you don't. And that's considered, that's a reality. So we create these realities. And I don't know what each of your realities that you come from in the past are and what your reality is in the future. We only have this moment. But you can't forget that, you know, I'm a product of A, B, C, D, like all these people behind me and all my life behind me. And I'm part of that fabric moving forward. And... I don't know where, well, so where I'm going with this is that I think um, that adaptive leadership component you can only really focus on if you know you don't know, and you can get to someplace much richer 
when you tap on what do other people know, experience, feel, and then use that to weave the best path forward. Well, just before we move into the like the next section or the next layer deeper of the conversation, I want to encourage us to blow it up so that we can pull it back in even more specific because we dove into healthcare as a system that needs rebuilding. And I would say that any of our major systems across Turtle Island um, would not have gotten through what the healthcare system just got through half as well as it did. The financial system, the judicial system, the political system. Um, so I, I want to make it clear that we are in no way picking on the healthcare system. I'm actually wanting to blow it up and go, we are in the place of healing right now. I happen to know that in business and entrepreneurship, we are actually in um, a tough time right now because government supports that happened through COVID are no longer happening. So the system of business and mm -hmm. how we work and how we are supporting founders and entrepreneurs and folks growing their business um, is in an interesting spot right now. Um, so my question is, and we can zero back into healthcare, or we can talk about what are the what are the practices that we need to be paying attention to right now during this time of healing the system that are actually going to help us put trust within a system <laughs> that currently is in a rebuilding state, right? Because when I go to the hospital, I still I still need to have trust in that system. When I go to my bank, I still need to have trust. And that's the reality that we're living in right now. That's the conversation I want to dig into. What is the practice that we can talk about as leaders to, to take a step forward and still have trust in the system that we know full well needs to be rebuilt and that we're in that space? It's really society you're highlighting. It's like it's it's permeates everywhere and different systems are just a reflection of what's going on everywhere. It is a rebuild and, and we're on this like thin line. And I don't think it's that hard in some ways. It's hard. It is hard. It's difficult. It's complex. It's challenging. But I think there are elements that are very easy. And this is it sounds so crazy, but it's like, how do you listen to people? Do you listen to to find connections with them. I mean, nothing wrong with that because that's you know a normal chit chat way of doing. Like, how do you? You both have dogs. You both live in the same place. You both travel different same places. Nothing wrong with that. Um, do you listen to be able to uh, respond? And that's how a lot of people listen. Um, nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, if you're if you're a litigator in court and you're defending your client, you better be listening to respond. Like, it's really important, but it's not necessarily a way to actually learn and connect you know are you listening to fix and again Ill, not ill-intentioned many of us don't like to see others struggle and you really want to help so you listen to fix but I mean how many times have you gotten advice that wasn't helpful and <laughs> wasn't really what you wanted I think it's I really think it's about 
How do we listen to others? And it, listen doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean you have to say, yeah, that's, that's right. Listening just means how do you see the world? What does this mean to you? And listening for both emotions and content. So it's what are people saying and why are they saying it? And it sounds like such an easy concept. We know it's hard. I mean, I teach coaching skills. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about coaching skills. Whenever I teach people, they're like, oh, my God, I cannot begin to tell you how things just changed as soon as I like started listening differently. And it's raising that intention. I think it's a starting place. Um, it's a stillness. It doesn't mean we have to do anything with it. We just need to listen to understand. And we're so busy trying to do and so busy trying to fix and so busy trying to get our own point across that sometimes we just don't listen. And it happens and it it happens in those little microsystems. Like it's it, it can start with you. I saw Jane Goodall last night. She was amazing. Okay, and I texted myself all these quotes that she had because they were just so good. One thing she said was, I don't know what to do, but I had to do something. And it doesn't mean that you have to go and fix the world, but you can listen differently. It's a, it's, it's a complete healing space. The other thing she had is only when our head and heart work together do we ever achieve our potential. And so how do we link? When you listen for both emotions and content, you're able to pull that head and heart together. You're feeling this way because of something. You always feel something because of something else. And if you can impact somebody else's thinking, that actually sets them on their own journey of self-directedness and being able to say, okay, I now have clarity on what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it, and this is what I want to do with it. And that's about honoring somebody else's ability to make their own decisions. My decisions are not the right decisions for other people. And I think that's... What else did she say? I think she had a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> oh, and this was it. Yes. Let them take the credit for their own change in behavior. Let them be self-directed. We all need to feel self-directed. That's a, It's a psychological nutrient we have. So give that gift to somebody. Where this takes me is the value of loose frameworks and principles um, where, you know, we have the seven grandfather teachings. We have, we have the principles and the stories that have been passed down for generations. We don't need to tell people what to do. We need to provide them with, with guide posts, a loose framework where they can feel self-directed. The leader path in powerhouse is a gym. It's a space. It's an infrastructure. I'm all about self-directed. I'm probably... I'm probably too hands off. I've actually been, I've been reprimanded for that. But I'm, I'm here to, to see you at your highest potential and provide a loose framework and dangle the tools that you have the, you have the choice to use when you're ready to use them. And, and that's, that's the epitome, but that, that comes from generations of stories like that's not anything new, but we have to be ready to use them. So I want to just dive in for a second because, you know, we the you you started talking, Margie, about the 
like just the art of listening and holding space for somebody. And I want to actually dive a little deeper into that because what is the role of, of wonder and curiosity in, in your work? Like just that, like pure curiosity. And how do we cultivate that into our, into our own lives hmm. and then into our leadership practices? I think there's a nuance around curiosity and there's a little bit of a test you can do for yourself. Are you curious for yourself? Is there something you want to learn and do you approach it in that way? And there's nothing, again, nothing wrong with that. It's how we learn and grow. Like we should. When you are, and I, I often think of this as, as, you know, I use the term coaching and I use it loosely. It's, I, I think it's, you know, we have a practice of coaching and there's all these things and it's certified. We make it all technical, but it really is about being present for somebody. So when you're curious in that mindset of wearing a coaching hat, it's about a curiosity to help the other person be curious about how they see the world and unlocking different thoughts they have. So if you're curious for someone else, for them to explore their their thinking versus are you curious for your own learning? So I think there's there's a time and place for each. Like neither of them are wrong. There's different ways of being in different situations. And I think that adaptivity is stance, that, that adaptive stance is really important. Um, but when somebody feels stuck and is unsure, helping them explore their own thinking um, is really actually, psycho, it's psychologically powerful. Like there's, and going back to like, what do we know from the medical world and medical frameworks? We know that there's like three psychological nutrients we have. We have to feel connected to others. We have to feel self-directed and we have to feel good at things. And we can be an environment that makes that flourish or we can be an environment that actually thwarts that. And it's funny because I think, you know, more Tina and I talk sometimes I'm like, oh, well, all these things that we've figured out, put all this Western language around are actually the indigenous ways of knowing and being. <laughs> but it's different language and different contexts. They come from somewhat different places. But I think the, the way to put these concepts like curiosity, like holding space for others, is to recognize that there's these things that we're now discovering in Western culture have always been there. It is that those those past teachings that that we've lost, we have to reconnect with. Um, I'm Jewish by background. Um, and so, or Jewish by choice. And um, there's a lot of Jewish teachings that as you listen to them, and that there is that storytelling, it's it's that ongoing connection to, to stories. And I, I think I told Tina, I think I told you about this. I don't go to synagogue often. Um, but I did go one um, Rosh Hashanah. And I still remember this rabbi talking about the fact that living in the moment is not actually a very strong Jewish teaching because it neglects all the generations that went into making you in this moment. And it forgets that there you are a part of that fabric that goes forward and creates new generations and new moments for other people. And so when you are living, you actually have to, you, it's your duty to consider what brought you to that moment and what are you contributing to the future? And that you're part of this fabric of humanity. And that's like stuck with me for a long time. Um, I think it's one of the most beautiful moments because I just imagine us all interconnected. Um, 
And I, I think that's, those are the things we have to remember. Those are those loose frameworks. We are all interconnected. I, I just want to pause for a moment and, and, and repeat something that Margie said that I think is really key and just that for, and have it land for those who are listening. And that is that we, that we use this language sometimes and we tend to romanticize um, the, the idea of, of whole leadership, but it comes back to the fact that it is simple and not easy. And because it's so simple, it is easy to overlook. And yet consciousness and raising your level of consciousness is, is water. You can't live long without it. And, and so I just want to remind everyone, some of those practices that we've talked about, paying attention, listening, um, having semi-permeable boundaries, in, and um, doing simple things like just resting and nourishing ourselves. Those are very simple concepts, so simple that they're easy to over, overlook. And, and yet, that is exactly that grounded knowing that is so necessary for leaders. Let's not complicate it or romanticize it, but let's not, let's acknowledge that it's actually still, it, it takes diligent discipline to engage in. And, and I want to add one more thing before I toss it back to, to, to Margie, and that is we talk about the words, you know, we use the, often use the word practice. And um, one of the words that, that, I don't know, I guess Echo introduced me to that has always landed for me is the word ceremony, right? That we, that, that in practice, in ceremony, we prepare ourselves for that level of consciousness, for that whole leadership, and that it is an ongoing ceremony. And I see Shara's as um, unbiked as well, so I'm sure you want to add some things into there. Yeah, I, I think I'd love to dig into a bit of a conversation about creating the the experiences, because where Christina's um, where Christina's remarks kind of come at me is we're, we're trying our best to heal systems within the confines of the English language. So <laughs> English is not our first language. Um, and so in work that we do with leaders, primarily in coaching and workshops and, you know, we, we sit and we share language. Even that as a practice of walking towards whole leadership has restriction to it, which is partly why I'm so drawn to media, because if I can get into the sensories beyond the words, if we can create events like the fire circles where we can evoke feelings through sound, music, drums, singing, Echo talks about ceremony. And so again, I just wanna kind of blow our minds a bit and I'm just gonna put it out there and say, we are not gonna heal the systems of our society 
purely by talking it out. <laughs> There's a role for conversation, but through the English language, we are in fact restricting and confining our ability to heal. Damn, you just blew my mind. <laughs> so you mentioned other media. I'm, 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 I'm going to flip it. I just want to, I want, I want to pick your brain a bit. Sure. <laughs> um, you mentioned other media, what, and using different forms, music, sound, language, what are some of the things you've experienced that have had the strongest healing impact for groups? Yeah, I'll give you two examples. We recently had um, a change maker say to us in our work through Powerhouse, I don't know what it was about you, but I could feel the drumbeat of your organization. And I was like, yep, it's working. I had an experience with um, a group of phenomenal filmmakers in Idaho last summer, which I've told a the powerhouse braid here about where we literally sat in a tree house by a river and we did not speak a word for well over an hour. And this was a group of eight or nine women, not a word. And it was not needed. And energetically, I can't even explain the experience, but I'm, I'm just saying that my most, I can only speak through my own experience, but my most powerful healing right now is actually beyond words and conversations. And which makes it interesting to be hosting a conversation, but I'm just, I do not want to restrict us into the confines of colonial ways of working and being. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of a story um, one of my mentors actually tells, um, and it was actually it was with uh, a friend of his who was Japanese Canadian, and his grandfather was you know born in Japan, still had his best friend in Japan, and they would and so they would oh no sorry the best friend also lived with them and then they moved so they were both in Alberta and then they moved, and you know these two used to go for coffee these two elderly Japanese individuals would go for coffee every every day and you know they would no one knew what was really was going on they, they just connected they knew they were friends so when they moved they actually set them up on facetime it's like okay here we go and so they sat there and they were like and every once in a while you hear hmm another one say hmm 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 and that went on for like half an hour and they got off and the sun goes you guys were you guys were supposed to have a visit. And the grandfather turned to me and said, We did. And then he just left. And it was that mere presence, even through the screen, it was the same way they had coffee for years, but nobody knew. That's how they had coffee. They were just present with each other. And I think we forget that silence is a productive part of the conversation. Like that's something we teach in, in our leadership programs and in coaching. Silence is okay. Silence is productive. Silence is reflective. Silence is letting you get in touch with where you're at and also thinking about where the other person's at. 
and we think it's where we have our own associations that we put with with silence and what you're teaching me right now is that we have our colonized views that we put with silence and then there's a whole bunch of other associations with silence that we don't even know about so thank you cool yeah, society, um, mainstream society has us thinking that silence is, too much silence is a bad thing or, you know, like one, one hour, oh my God, how did you survive that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> one hour of silence. Uh, whereas um, in Indigenous ways of knowing and being, I mean, um, silence is a, a normal part of um, our existence and um, it's actually um, very healthy for you. You know, our, our bodies need that. Um, it just brings me back, like we talked about Echo before, and our, our friend Echo Alec. Um, um, she's so wise for her her young age, young years. You know, um, she um, talks about um, um, bringing um, well her life, um, and I'm trying to do the same, like bringing ourselves back to um, a natural uh, state of. Um, the, the seasons where, you know, in the winter we're resting. Uh, we're not like the, uh, the, the mainstream society has us living in this rat race where we, if we're, if we're not um, competing all the time, you know, um, then we're not worthy. You know, um, we have to be go, go, go all the time. And it's just not an, an it's not a, a healthy way to live. Um, and, and so I just wanted to, um, you talked, Shar, you talked about um, 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 the English language. And I, I, that brought me back to um, one of the uh, First Nations chiefs, chief, chiefs that I worked with for a few years. Uh, he was telling us stories. And, and, and then he, uh, in his storytelling, he stopped and he said, well, there are stories that he can't tell us because there's no English uh, words for what he wanted to say. And, and so um, that just had me thinking that, you know, like there, there's so many stories out there that how can we um, bring them to life without the English language? Like how bring them to life in their language. There's that one uh, movie that's um, from the, the Haida, uh, Haida Gwaii. It, it's all in their language there's there's uh, nothing in this it's not english subtitled and um i don't think it is uh it's just an amazing story and you know like um media has a, a way of um bringing these stories to life where would you like to go next i feel like i don't actually know enough about the thought architects and i want to give a bit of space for that and your change work in the world so, you know, I think, and actually I was, I was also, I wanted to kind of bring it back down to what do you do? Like, how do you make this something that is tangible? Like we talked about some pretty big ideas and how do you make it tangible for people? And I think um, what we do is we've, we take that stance of not knowing, to be honest, and it, we call it facilitation. <laughs> Facilitation is about not knowing. So when you work with a group, you are not the expert in that group. You are the expert in process. You're the expert in uh, helping people think through things. You're the expert in people exploring. And people learn 
best when they explore and have a sense of discovery. Remember when you're a kid and you figured something out and you were so excited? That doesn't go away. So how do you harness that in, <clears throat> in teams? So it's not about coming in with, here's what you need to know. It's a little bit of here's what you need to know. Now, how are you going to put this to practice in your life? So here's some coaching skills. So uh, for example, we we take coaching skills and you can do this whole training and become a coach and you can get your certification. And that's just not what most people have time, space, or really inclination always to do. Instead, how do we take these nuances of communication um, using words? Cause it is uh, the context most people are in, you know, sure. I think you've again, blown my mind when it comes to this whole other areas, but using words, using language, using silence, um, as a different way of being with people to help them improve where they go. So really tangible example, working with physicians. We teach them coaching skills and we teach them to listen differently. You're not listening to fix, you're not listening to diagnose. Now, physicians are very much taught, this is how you diagnose. And there's a brain, there's a brain pattern that goes with that. A process of elimination. What are the zebras? What are the things that you could be missing? What's the most likely scenario? So they have, there's a whole pattern that occurs. Then you actually, instead, how do you listen in a different way? So you can say, this is best medical practice. Now switch into coach mode. As you think about your life, how does that fit for you? So how does somebody take what they've just learned from a physician, integrate it into themselves, and put it into a context that makes sense for them? And so we teach them the skills of coaching. How do you ask questions in a way that is inviting, not judging? How do you use silence and let people actually reflect and create space for them to answer? Because how many times do you go in and you get, the doctor talks at you, and then you leave and you're like, I didn't even get my stuff out. So how do you use silence? How do you take it just slow down, just a touch? And, and that's a big fear that people have. If I slow down, I won't get through my day. And it's shocking. A great coaching conversation can be a 10-minute appointment. It's no different than your typical average family doctor appointment. It can, it can actually, you can use coaching skills in that time. And it doesn't mean you drop, drop the medical component. It's just you add in this other component. So we teach them how to use that and we teach them the skills, but then it's up to them to sort out how do you fit this in your life? Are you using it with patients? Are you using it with students? Are you using it with your spouse, with your kids, with your team? And so we create the opportunity and we hold the space for them to try to try on these skills in different scenarios and figure out what makes sense for them so they can get that learning experience. It is that experience of discovery, that delight. Because when it works, you're like, oh, I talked to a, actually, I talked to a physician who just took our coaching course. And she said, I had no idea that learning how to listen and taking one course, like two hours once a week for nine weeks would have this much impact on my patients. I have reached a whole new level of therapeutic alliance with them. I'm shocked. And she says, and I'm not even good at questions. It's just how I listen and how I'm paraphrasing back what they say. That's it. Um, so again, it's not complex, but it's, um, but it's hard. The other things we do is we, you know, we, we teach leadership programs and it's the same thing. It's about how do you take this con, how do you take this knowledge and put it into context for yourself? And we use, we actually, again, hold space for people through coaching conversations in between topical areas 
so that it allows for um, people to have that integrative time. Um, there's some really great research out of education that shows that if you want people to make change, if you just tell them about it, the chance of being able to make change is like 5%. If you demonstrate to them, it's about 10%. If you actually allow them to try it out, like simulation, it goes up to about 20%. But if you coach them on their thinking about that change, the ability of them to implement it goes up to 80% because it becomes theirs. It is about people being able, to, people take content in, it goes through their filter, and then it comes out as something else. So you have to allow people, you have to allow that space for people to, to do that. And we don't because we are, as, as you were mentioning, go, 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 go. So that's, I don't know if that explains what we do. Yeah. But that's what we do. Becomes theirs. I love that. I'm leaving with hope. I'm leaving with hope that there is someone, you and Thought Architects, and what Powerhouse brings, um, opening up these intangible conversations where there are yearnings to, to learn. And that I have hope because this is possible and it's happening right now. That's what I'm leaving with. Thank you for the work you do, Margie. Who's next? I'll jump in. Um, yeah, thank you for that, Mar Margie. Um, I'm leaving with gratitude. Um, um, and what you said about um, if you want people to make change, coach them on their thinking. And so um, I really, that that hit me very, and I worked with, I work with Indigenous women. And so um, I'm going to, I think I do that to a, 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 a small degree, but I think I'm going to rethink that to, to implement that more and to listen and allow integration. So thank you. Huge, huge learning for me. Yeah, I'd like to tag on to Sharon's comments and just say I'm taking away uh, loose frameworks to allow self-directed healing through integration where we listen lots, we drop a few words and then we hold space for integration. I, I'm, I'm actually taking at, the, at this moment, I'm quite humbled because I'm reminded of my propensity, my default to tell rather than to that than, than to truly listen and um and and so i'm i'm just i'm so grateful for you and i'm so grateful for how you model servant leadership and like in such a fierce compassionate um and dedicated way um, like I said, you, you walk that I'm a better person because I know you and, um, and, and I'm just, I'm humbled by this conversation. So thank you, Marky. You guys have this ability to embarrass people. Um, <laughs> I think something I'm, I'm actually taking away a curiosity because as I think about this construct of 
having conversations and using coaching, what other modalities might be available in that kind of similar coaching construct? So here's the coaching box, but we use words in it. So if I were to layer something around it, what would be another way to achieve that? And I'm really curious as to what that could be. So I'm, I'm leaving with a like, I'm leaving with a real curiosity. Mm, thank you, Margie. And thank you for joining us on Gather for Her, a co-created conversation with global leaders, change makers, and social impactors. This conversation has been recorded and it's going to be shared on our YouTube channel. So you can listen to us again or just come on back to LinkedIn and LinkedIn and press play and, and listen to us there. It also moves over to a podcast renamed as How for Her, which you can find on Spotify and all the other places that you listen. Gather for Her is hosted by Powerhouse, where we walk beside leaders to amplify their change work and integrate Indigenous ways of knowing and being on their path to whole leadership. <clears throat> many, many thanks. To you, Shar, our impact media producer and sister company, Regen Media, who reminds us that we can take the power of media into our own hands when we support stories that heal, regenerate, uplift, and transform. Thank you to the hands at our back, Powerhouse and Regen's digital storytellers, Zoe Gray, Madeline Archibald, and Willow Smith. And thank you to my co-hosts, that's you, my the brave sisters of change power from Powerhouse, Charlene, Christina, Sharon, and of course me. And to you, our listeners, our community of change makers, leaders, and social impactors, thank you for walking with us in co-creation of the world we're living into together. Reconciliation in action begins with awareness, followed by a practice or ceremony, and then is carried forward within us as integrated knowing. You are always welcome here each week on Gather for Her, and there's always a place for you at our fire in Powerhouse. So much love to everyone and we will see you all next week and deep bow to you, Margie. Thank you for being here. Thank Most you, everybody. This was amazing. Thank you. As always, we are so grateful for your deep listening with us. We want you to know that there is a community here that you may not know about yet. We gather virtually every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for these live conversations and we call it Gather for Her. This is the place where we begin to weave our individuality together to remove silos and place our hands at each other's backs for activated, intentional action towards a world we all want for 2030, where we prepare for a better world. When you're ready, we're here. Find us at powerhouse.com and get social with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If it feels right, you can support this inspired wisdom through Patreon at patreon.com powerhouse. Until next time, keep listening and know we're always here, ready to gather with you.